Welcome to Daily Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Each day we walk through the vital principles of the abundant life. Our Lord can do above and beyond all we ask or think. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. It was a few years back, one of my daughters was visiting her corporate headquarters in New York. En route to and from the headquarters, she went through an area called Sleepy Hollow. She called me and said, Dad, there really is a place called Sleepy Hollow, where Washington Irving enshrined in mystery the legend of Sleepy Hollow. But Irving is known for another story called Rip Van Winkle. In that classic short story, a man escapes from his churlish wife into the Catskill Mountains, drawn deeper and deeper by a group of merry men playing a game. Rip Van Winkle drinks a magic potion and sleeps. Now, when he fell asleep, British King George was sovereign. When he wakes up 20 years later, George Washington is president. The man had slept through a revolution. Yes, a fanciful folk tale, but we are focusing in the devotions this week on something very real. The case of prodigals who run away to distant countries. We believe it's time for them to come home. Or even the case of the prodigal nearby, whose attitude and spirit are so caustic, they may as well be far away. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, some sleep. And that's a good description of a prodigal. They are asleep. They are sleepwalking their way through life. And something or someone needs to awaken them. Welcome to our daily devotion. You have heard me say for some time now that we are praying for the prodigal, that we believe the prodigals are returning. And all of this week, we are devoting the week of devotions to the return of the prodigals. We want to see the prodigals home for the holidays. I will return to this theme today and several more times in the next few days. But today, I want to talk about awakening the prodigal. For indeed, prodigals are sleepwalking through life. And Rip Van Winkle is an apt description of the prodigal. Like a prodigal, he was running from something. Like a prodigal, he was distracted by and following after something. There was some craving, some desire, some lust, some longing. Something drew him away. And here we see the twin forces at work in a prodigal's life. Something is pushing them away and something is drawing them or drawing them away. In other words, there's a racing from and a drawing to. You have to have both to successfully become a prodigal. No one merely backslides. No one just runs away unless they're also enticed by their own lust and their own desires. It's not a question that someone created a prodigal, no. For a person to run from the Lord, there has to be an inner unfulfilled longing. Can I camp out here just for a moment? If you were to interview the most famous prodigal in Scripture in the parable of the prodigal son, he would say, yes, I had to get away. The rules were too tight. Big brother, was such a judgy perfectionist. He did everything right. I always messed up. I never measured up. I was always yelled at and compared against my bigger brother. Every prodigal can point the finger of blame at someone or something. 
Oh, the church is filled with hypocrites and holier than thou people. Everybody else got the breaks. They got special treatment, but I was singled out for mistreatment. People were picking on me. People said things about me. On and on, each and every prodigal has a reason for their racing away. But what few prodigals will ever admit, they weren't just chased away. They were drawn away. There was some inner something that was unfulfilled, some desire, some longing, some pipe dream. For the prodigal in the parable, it was the lights of a distant city. It was partying, friends who had accepted him so long as he had money. For Rip Van Winkle, it was camaraderie. It was fun. It was the games. In the story, he's drawn deeper and deeper into the wilds of the mountains and farther and farther from home. Yet that doesn't explain the peril of the prodigal. For there's one more element. Like Rip Van Winkle, he must be drugged into a deep sleep. A sleep so deep that nothing else seems to matter. Drawn into their own fantasy world so far that the real world fades from view. The temporal becomes enthroned and the eternal is vanquished. Some of you may have loved ones that are prodigals that the problem is quite literally drugs. But drugs don't just come in pills and liquids and inhalants and so forth. They can be drugged by their search for power, for prosperity, for prestige. They can be intoxicated by affluence or affluenza. They can be intoxicated by entertainment or the social scene. They can be drunk on care and burden and depression and anxieties and insecurities. It's the drug that keeps them there, that stuns them, that traps them, that puts them to sleep, that anesthetizes them. And that's what I want to say about prodigals today. They are asleep, sleepwalking. We can analyze and scrutinize why they are asleep. We can ponder and strategize how to wake them up. And I think that's where we struggle. We second guess everything. Why they drifted away? Why do they stay away? Why won't they come home? Yes, this is where we want to overthink this, that we have to find reasons. We have to fix blame on people. Can you imagine Rip Van Winkle's wife and children? Where's my husband? Where's our father? Well, he's leaning against a tree in the Catskill Mountains. He's asleep. Some sleep. That's what Paul said. Now, he meant the sleep of death in that verse. That's easier to understand why a person won't come home, because they can't come home. But prodigals are those who could return, but do not. It's a choice that they made. Hear me carefully. We are free to choose to sin. But we're not free to choose the consequences of those sins. Sinful choices bring chains, chains of bondage, chains of darkness, chains of somnolence, some sleep. Not the sleep of death, but the sleep of bondage. What should happen to them? I think they must be awakened. In my family, we had a situation years ago. We had a situation of an uncle that we loved, an uncle who was genius, an uncle that had it all going for him. But he was in Pearl Harbor. He was there at the docks when the bombing began. And it messed him up, messed him up pretty bad. 
when he came back from the war, we didn't understand PTSD back then. He just wasn't right. He fell into a life of crime, was imprisoned, and then he got out of prison, and that's the last anyone heard of him for 40 years, 40 years away from the family, 40 years of not knowing if he was dead and alive. It was the sleep. He was intoxicated. He was asleep. One of the most curious and powerful passages of Scripture is Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. He fell asleep, and in his sleep, God began to speak to Jeremiah. God said to him, my people are in the desert, and it's high noon. They were drawn away, but I'm coming to them, and I will show them grace in the desert. Those who have been looking for something, they will find me looking for them. And God says to them, I'll never quit loving you. I will bring you back. I will build you up. I will give you your song back. You'll sing again, dance again. You'll be blessed again. I'll get you on your feet again. Then the Lord tells everyone, would you announce the good news? Would you sing praises? Would you start cheering? Because they're coming back home. And then God says to Jeremiah, watch what comes next. I'll bring my people home from the north. I will gather them from the ends of the earth, lame, limping. They will come home. Watch them come. They will come weeping for joy. I will take them by their hands and lead them. I will replace their desires with a thirst for fresh flowing water. I will clear out the path for them to come home. Those who were scattered will be gathered again. I'll pay whatever price necessary to free them from captivity. I will make their lives fruitful again. The young women will dance. You men, you old men will join in the dance. Weeping will be turned to laughter and I will invade their grief with joy. God said, I hear Rachel weeping for her children. Her children are gone, long gone. But God says, Rachel, stop weeping. Dry your tears. Get ready. They're coming back home. There's hope. For your children. That's the decree of heaven. There's always hope. God said, I hear the prodigal. I hear the runaway saying, For years I ran for you, but now I repent. I'm ashamed of my past. I'm humiliated. I beat my chest saying, Will I ever live this down? But God says, You are my child. And every time I hear your name, my heart bursts with longing for you softly. Tenderly, he's calling, saying, I'm waiting for you to come home. What promises given to Jeremiah? God said, I will set up the signposts. I want them to clearly see the directions to get back home. I want to get the road conditions right, that the road out is the road back. Come home. Come back home. How long will you wait? I'm doing a new thing in the land, God said. There is a transformed prodigal who is embracing the transforming God that he will refresh and he will restore. And here's the unusual thing about this prophecy. It was given to Jeremiah in his deep sleep. And in verse 26, Jeremiah awakens. He wakes up and he looks around. And while awake, God whispers to him, Be ready. The time is 
coming. You see, our hope is this. We don't know why people left. We don't know what's keeping them away. But be ready. The time is coming. God is bringing them home. How it happens, we can't begin to imagine. In fact, we need to quit asking how. We need to rearrange those letters H-O-W to W-H-O. And we know who is going to bring them home. The wise woman of Tekoa told King David, God devises means. He creates ways to bring his wayward children back home. God knows how it will happen. God knows how to awaken the prodigal. I was reading the testimony of a man who stumbled into an AA meeting. He listened to a nurse who said that she was awakened to her drinking problem when working in the emergency room one night. She said that a young man had been brought to the hospital, been so drunk he fell through a second floor window 20 feet to the ground below. But rather than being broken, he was belligerent and mean. And she realized, I got to get help. When she finished, the young man who'd come to the meeting for the first time said, And nurse, I was that young man, and I too realized I needed help. What brought the young man's shame became a message of hope to the nurse, which in turn brought the young man hope. Looking unto Jesus, that's how we will awaken the prodigal. My uncle, after 40 years of being away from the family, the phone rang one day, and he called. And he said, I've lived a life that I'm ashamed of. And I didn't want to bring shame on my family. Is it okay if I come home? Oh, prodigal, it's time for you to come home. Thank you for sharing in daily devotion with Ken Gurley. We pray this ministry has been a source of encouragement and strength to you. Please be mindful that your financial support enables us to meet with you each day. To give a donation or connect with us, visit our website at kengurley.com. There you will also find the latest books, podcasts, and resources. Blessed, 90 Days to Change Your World is Pastor Gurley's latest book. You can get your copy of this life-changing book at kengurley.com. May God's favor rest on you in every way until we meet again.